Those of me or may not know, I'm Dan Yelovic. Um, I have the good fortune. Can you hear me, John? Better if I'm in front of the mic. All right, thanks, John. I've had the good fortune of being at the first All Souls service so many years ago um, and had the privilege of helping to lead the uh, men's uh, Bible study every Saturday morning. All men are continuing to be invited, 7.30, right here. So uh, just putting that out there. But let us begin. Let's say this prayer together. Lord, we beseech thee mercifully to receive the prayers of thy people, which call upon thee, and grant that they may both receive and know what things they ought to do, and also may have the grace and power faithfully to fulfill the same through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're looking this morning at grace in the New Testament. So we're centering in on and also may have grace and power faithfully to fulfill the same. Grace that comes from the Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we talked about grace in the Old Testament last week a bit. Um, I always go back to Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60, which says, Rise, shine, for your light has come. Talks about the, the nation of Israel and how that is going to be a light to the nations. We have Abraham. Through him, the whole world will be blessed. And we have the law and the prophets. And all they have to do is keep the law. And favor will come upon them. And we all know how that works out. Uh, the Old Testament is a testament of how uh, fallen human beings have tried to work this through, of having this great calling of God, but always falling short. Uh, they lose their temple, the temple's rebuilt, and people weep because it's nowhere near what the original temple looks like. Gentiles occupy their land. They're going to the temple now, but there's a... Um, there's a Roman eagle across the entrance of the temple letting every Jew know exactly who really is in charge. Their religious leaders are compromised. There's no hope. Um, and it's very close to what Ezekiel talked about with the valley of dry bones. That is what Israel is looking like spiritually, inwardly, at that point. And the people are crying out. God's answer to their cry is grace. Grace through Jesus the Messiah. The grace in the New Testament is the Father's favor, the Father's empowerment, the Father's love, made known through the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus, made known through the Holy Spirit through the body of Christ, his disciples, and us. And God willing, we'll be able to talk about that as we, we move down through that. So long ago, at many times and in many ways, according to the writer of Hebrews, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. I'm going to be going through these relatively quickly uh, because we have a lot to cover in a short time, and I definitely want time for discussion with you all. So times passed. Now we look to Jesus. And in John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 16, 
For the fullness we have all received, grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So Jesus makes known the Father. And it's grace upon grace. Now there's no mention of the, actually the word grace coming out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospels. But he shows us his grace by his life, by his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and how he interacts with people. So we're going to spend a lot of time looking at how Jesus interacted uh, with the people of his day. But most chiefly, it was the cross where he utters, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, Roy and Mark and uh, Father Martin began to explore the meaning of the cross, and we'll add to that discussion a bit more here knowing full well that we're not going to be able to tap into all of it. So getting back to, the, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Um, grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. Um, what is grace? Um, I'm putting it out there that it's God's favor, God's empowerment, God's love. God's one-way love, as we're going to unpack, because you'll pick up that I'm drawing on Paul Zal's book, which is our assigned book. Also, if anyone knows Father Martin, he knows that he loves to give out this book uh, by Abiyus Gerhard Ford on being a theologian of the cross. You'll hear references there. I'm also influenced by some of those West Coast pastors, Bill Johnson, Danny Silk, uh, you might hear some Dan Moeller and what I say too, so I'm very little is original. But I've been through this again and again because um, it's, it's the core of the gospel. So what is grace? The classic example, remember the, uh, the cop illustration? You're in a 30 mile an hour zone. I don't know how it happened, but you're going 47. Cop pulls you over. You know exactly what you've been doing. Well, no. Well, you know, I clocked you at 47. Okay, so what's mercy? Mercy is, uh, you know what? We're going to let you off with a warning. You know perfectly well you broke the law, but we're going to let you off. That's mercy. Grace is one step ahead of that, where grace is actually the cop pulls out his pocket, pulls out his uh, wallet, says, you know what? You were wrong. We're going to let you off with a warning, but here's $500. What? $500? That has nothing to do with the, uh, what? Um, but that's where grace is. It's something that's above and beyond. It, it, it's beyond our expectations, where it comes from. Now it opens up a whole can of worms, like what's going to happen to your behavior afterwards. Well, should I, should I uh, speed or shouldn't I speed? I'm not really sure. Last time I got $500. Should I chance that again? <laughs> Uh, maybe, you know, maybe it's, you know, that particular officer, maybe it's when you're driving through Wheaton, because it is Wheaton, you know, uh, who knows. Uh, but do you want to take that chance? What does that look like? Well, we have the classic story of the prodigal son. Uh, we know the story. He goes off. He demands his inheritance, which basically is getting rid of the livelihood of the father. It's a great blow of disrespect and dishonor to the father goes off, but he comes back. The father, I mean, that's one of the big commandments, right? Honor the mother and father, and he's broken that. He can demand some sort of retribution when he comes back, and, and we all know the story. 
But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. So he's restored to the full measure of his sonship. They're putting a ring on his finger, which basically means he has access to the treasury again. This is the guy who just went and squandered everything on prostitutes and everything else. We know the story. God runs to him. The father runs to him, embraces him, and puts him back. You know, surely we would have some, you know, program that he would have to go through before he, you know, would touch money again or even talk about it. No, that's not what happens. Grace goes above and beyond. It just lavishes favor on the person. So Jesus goes out, says a a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling and said to him, and this is kind of the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament that I'm seeing. Uh, The leper says, if you will, you can make me clean. Is that one of our most primary questions? Does God really care about whatever it is that we're feeling is leprous about ourselves? Uh, God, do you really care about this? Can you really heal this? Um, Because surely I deserve the situation I have put myself in. That's against the, the law talking. Look at the law. You fall short. You fall short. Well, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus moved with compassion. Again, God so loved. Jesus' first response is compassion. Um, and some old study I did of the book of Mark there, the compassion also had some aspect of anger to it as well, which kind of shocked me that Jesus feels anger. Um, exploring that in this commentary, uh, the person wrote, that, well, the anger is what pretty much any father sees when you, you see that something's happening to a child that should not happen to them. Why is this coming upon this person? This is not the way it's supposed to be. So moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. The law says if you touch a leper, you become unclean. Jesus comes, he touches the leper, and the leper becomes clean. There's something happening here that is bridging uh, the Old Testament period to the New Testament period, and it has to do with favor. Because it's, and especially, well, we all know. Um, Old Testament, Nahum, he got into the water, remember? Leprosy goes away after seven times. So that's one way, I guess, you can handle it. Uh, Jesus, when he raises Lazarus, says, Lazarus, come forth. So he's far away. He can do it. This leper, who knows the last thing that any good Jew wants to do is touch him, is touched by Jesus. So when we are feeling our filthiest, our most unclean, he touches us. The other piece of grace that... um, I think bridges the, the two well. Um, we all know Peter, correct? And upon this rock, I will build my church, right? Peter, very non-rockish, 
as, as we know, as it turns out. Um, but that's what Jesus declares over him. And Jesus has this very interesting parable that says, you know, if you deny me before your uh, men, I will deny you before the Father, which is in heaven. There's a law, pretty strict law. Deny, rejection. Um, good things if you don't deny, bad things if you do deny. But then what happens to, to, to Peter? Lord, I will, you know, all this. And we know he denies him three times. And then when he finally meets up with Peter later, what does he do? Verse 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So instead of commendation, he gives him an accommodation. He uh, gives him a mission. Love seems to triumph. Uh, mercy triumphs over judgment. So um, this is great. This is good news. This is the core of the gospel. Um, so quick question. Is such radical grace realistic in today's world? This is when you guys get involved. So we're going to keep this moving, but some interaction going too. Um, you know, I made reference to the traffic cop. Obviously, I'm not going to want to drive the streets of Wheaton if I know people are just let off the hook all the time and, you know, and who knows what might happen as I drive around. Um, but um, to expect this type of grace, is this really realistic in today's world? Uh, how realistic? Has anyone got a comment? Go ahead. That bridges that second question. How can we guard against being presumptuous of God's grace by sinning and then saying, oh, well, I know God forgives me. You know, the, I mean, it's an extreme case, but yeah, the, we want to forgive the drug lord. God calls us to forgive. Forgive as freely as you've been forgiven. Go ahead. You make the point earlier that, that grace and mercy are no different. Correct. Right? Undeserved favor. Which say. tells us more about God than it does about the person speaking. Mm -hmm. Your metaphor. So we, we don't have to worry that we'll lose understanding of what the offender does because there's grace out there in the world, even if there's a small number of it. Mm -hmm. But it tells us something about God we wouldn't know any other way. Okay. Yeah, I owed my uncle $15,000 for a house with, you know, 
Didn't see that? No? Yeah. Relationship is, yeah. Has anyone ever been raised by a parent in this room? Is anyone raising children in this room? Does anyone uh, wonder, oh, well, I know my father forgives me. Um, will that keep them from bad behavior or maybe encourage bad behavior down the road? If they know that the father always forgives, what? Ephesians. For you are all dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Getting to the key verse, verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. You look at all the good majority of the letters. Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ, from our Father. Grace, this grace comes unmerited, unearned from the Father. That's the initiator of all of this. We've covered that in the past. Uh, but for grace, you've been saved through faith. So a couple quick questions. Uh, from what are you saved? You've been saved by grace through faith. What are we saved from? Hell. Hell? Who said that one? That's me. That's a good one. Interestingly enough, not in the uh, uh, not not in the Ephesians passage, but that's what we all think of. I think first. Sure. What else? Sin. Who said that? Oh, I love you, David. That's exactly. <laughs> it's interesting that uh, Jesus says to become a follower of Him, you must deny uh, gratuitous living. Uh, all these other things? No, he says, yourself. Uh, ourselves seem to get in the way a lot. Um, anything else? Anything else that might have been actually in the, in the passage? Disorder um, passion. There you go. We don't like to talk about the devil much, but that's in there. 
seem to be talking about our natural way of doing things. There's a lot there. But then how do we respond through faith? How does faith come into play? Just because of time, I'm going to skip to... Oh, no, I've got one break. Go. <laughs> So it's almost an attitude of the heart. It's like aligning yourself with that yes of God. and You're saying yes to that. Like Abraham, he believed. He said yes, he believed. Yeah. said uh, Luther the law says do this and it's never done grace says believe in this and everything is already done Christ has gone before us it's his faithfulness that we are depending on we're counting on we are in him it's only in him that any of this becomes possible so what do we do we believe we're believers, not doers, and when they reference us, you know, primarily. Doing's important, I know, I know. I see, I see that in some faces. Yeah, yeah, okay. okay. So the first part of grace, then, is God's favor. God as favor. If you think about favor, God's grace, unmerited favor tend to skip over that, but if we unpack that a little bit, what is that? Basically blessing. If uh, Vern is a person, he's obviously got the favor of, let's say, the Kennedys. We, oh, he's got some wealth behind him. He's got backing. He's got like almost a sense of privilege uh, because of that. Uh, some might have the favor of Trump, So, but that's good too. Okay. It says different things, obviously. Uh, so then what it, Unpacking that favor, what does that look like? Um, well, one, it says you have great worth. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. Everyone in this world, uh, well, in one sense, is highly, highly honored. It has great worth. Why? because of the blood that was shed. The, the blood of the Lord of the universe shed your, his blood for you. Imagine that in real life where someone gives up their life for you. All the more so with Jesus. Um, what else is that favor? So if the favor is upon that person, it's obviously not wealth. What else? might it look like? Well, it's that great worth, but also the Father restores the image of God that's in you. That state that brings us all the way to the garden, free from sin. Being rooted and grounded in love, filled with all of the fullness of God. Maybe at the peace, 
Some of you already had the peace, maybe at the peace. Be looking, giving the peace to the other person today, saying, this person's filled with all the fullness of God. Oh, my goodness. Um, don't feel that way. Um, maybe that's that by faith that we should come back to. Um, but that's what's been declared over us. God's favor is upon you. You've been filled with all the fullness of God. And we have the privilege of being conformed into the image of his son. But primarily, like we saw when we were uh, starting off with uh, uh, the John passage, that Jesus reveals the Father. So he secures our identity as sons and daughters, heirs of God. He is our Father. Romans 8. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Interestingly enough, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. We'll come back to that last part. But we're children of God. Um, the temptation. It's interesting to me that in the temptation, uh, Jesus goes and is tempted for 40 days. Um, what's the first thing out of the, uh, the tempter's mouth? Um, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Seems to be calling into that question, that sonship. If you go back to the baptism, the voice from heaven has just said, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. Every person here is, you have a son, you are a daughter, in you I am well pleased. That's on every one of us. And then immediately, that question, well, am I really? Is that really, well, I look at my son, not so much. Yeah. It all goes back to that. And if it isn't quite there, what he's doing, the tempter again, he's twisting what that sonship looks like. It's not God-focused. It's not others-focused. He wants it to be focused on us. He's saying, hey, you're, you're hungry. You should be able to take care of that. Uh, God will protect you. Throw yourself down. It's all about you. It's all about the tempter's way, not God's way. question was, is it, is it a sin to expect grace? Grace is there. Well, what do you think? Who said no? All right.
Well, I heard, um, I know this might stir things up a little bit, but uh, I heard a while ago back that um, if you struggle with sin until you die, then death is your savior, not Jesus. Taking this in the positive is what we're just talking about for me. Um, if I find my, it's not so much it's the struggle of sin, like Martin said last week, the closer we get to God, the more these questions pop up. It's not so much a, a, a struggle, but we're aware of it. And we're asking the question. No one normally would ask the question about grace that, that um, was just asked. That brings it up to the, fir- to the surface, and now what do we do with that? It's not so much a struggle. It's, we bring that to the secret place with God and say, this is going on. This is just not, not right. I, I see myself counting on your grace. Um, and in one sense, I do want to do that every morning. They're new every morning. Your mercies are new every morning. Yes to that. But I also see myself giving myself permission to sin, to do things, to bring harm to one another. That can't be right. God, what's, what's, what's going on? So if, if we're struggling with it, bring it to the secret place. And lo and behold, we're going we're gonna to see that there's an anchor there of God wanting to reveal himself. And yeah, he's bringing it to the surface. And once again, he shows himself faithful that even that can be overcome by his grace. Yes? And the focus is on the other, because there is a responsibility there. Um, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So I'm hearing from the pulpit today that we're sons and daughters of God. That's good. But look what it actually um, calls us to. Uh, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? We're sons and daughters of God. What does that mean? Jesus says one of the big things it means is that you love others, even the ones that are the most difficult, your enemies. Luther again, the love of God does not find but creates that which is pleasing to it. The love of man comes into being through that which is pleasing to it. So Jesus looks at Peter and he sees a rock, even though there's nothing rock about him. Um, looks at Paul and sees a persecutor of the church, knocks him off the donkey and says, why are you doing this? And he turns because God sees what's there. And it's, how do we love our enemies? We look at what God sees in that person the image of God that has been broken, that has been stifled, that is waiting to come out, to be liberated by the gospel, to be liberated by Christ himself. We're running out of time, but this would be a good question too. How is Jesus' command to love as he loved us different than the Old Testament law? That's for another day. (laughs) 
So the grace, too, is then also, it, it's that unmerited favor, yes, but it's also empowerment to do his will. And so I'm running out of time here. Um, so Luke 22. Jesus in the garden. Um, interesting, there's drops of blood. He's struggling with this. God empowers him. And look, even Jesus needs the help of angels. Verse 43, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. After the temptation, there was strengthening, supernatural strengthening. It came from God. The Corinthians passage that we're all uh, familiar with. Paul finds that my grace is sufficient for you, God tells him. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So God's empowerment comes. Is it in our strength? No. It's in our weakness. And when we, we are weak, he is strong. One last aspect of that. Uh, I'm going over to the Corinthians passage. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the grace of our Lord? Well, we've seen a bit of it. But interesting in this passage, that though he was rich, yet for our sake, for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We see that in the Philippians passage, which we're, you hear in the service today, of God not holding on to that, that right to be God, but lowered himself. And then we see that in the washing of the disciples' feet. What does empowerment look like? What does being a king look like in this gospel? It means going low, bending down, washing others' feet. Then last, but man, I'm going to have to do this in two to three minutes. Uh, quickly, where is the scripture that shows that Jesus turning off his love toward another? Because certainly I'm justified that if someone wrongs me, I can cut off my love toward that person, Right? So, I, I do it all the time. One or two people in here might do that as well. That if I'm going to respect you, you have to earn my respect. If I'm going to love you, you have to be loving toward me. Come on, that's the way it works. So, I'm looking for that example where Jesus does that, because that will get me off. Scott Free. Rich, I know it's Seven there. Woes. What's that? Seven woes and What's he saying? I know, I, I, I thought that one through, think that one through. What happens there? Right? He's a truth teller. He's t speaking truth to power. Isn't that a form of love? I've been hearing that recently. Yeah. If you have cancer, it's good that I tell you, you know, probably best to put down that, those two bags of cigarettes. They're, it's hurting you. Go ahead. How did Jesus extend that grace of five hundred dollars to first Peter to the seven? Well, we don't know the exact sequence, but we've got John three sixteen, where we have a religious leader coming to Jesus by night. Uh, somehow that message, I think, uh, people took to heart, and they responded to it. 
Jesus said, well, all have fallen short. We are all just filthy rags. We're not too much different than the brood of vipers. So God is love. But what's eternal life? Is it just heaven and hell, Tim? No. <laughs> it should not perish but have eternal life. And it's interesting, Jesus himself defines it. John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, you whom you have sent. Jeremiah says, no longer will they say, know the Lord, because they will know him. That intimacy with the Father is what eternal life is all about. Do I have one minute? No minutes. One minute. Ready? Go. So Hebrews, that's our anchor, that intimacy, that inner place. That's where we take care of grace, in that secret place. There's the anchor, one of the first symbols of Christendom in the catacombs. There's that anchor. What is that anchor? That intimacy that we have in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. The purpose of our instruction is what? Love. Yes. Earnest love is earnestly desiring, working passionately for the best, God's best for the other. But that also opens up what is, the, what is God's best and how do we work through that? We don't always know. And then our uh, author here, everyone needs the same amount of love, which is 100% unconditional love, the one-way love of God. Grace is one-way love. There's no way that I ever am justified to shut off my love. It's always Jesus in front of the people that are persecuting him. Jesus on the cross always still loves. It's one way. One way love transforms. It changes the agents of life. And that's the fruit of the Spirit, which, interestingly enough, includes self-control. So God's answer to our cry is grace, grace through the Messiah, Jesus. Revelation is the last word, the very last word. Here it is, Brad. Look in your Bible. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.